Welcome back to the Lighthouse Project Podcast, a Children of Scientology production and a completely collaborative effort to chat about all the issues affecting the youngest members of Scientology who didn't choose it for themselves. Our goal is to help create awareness around what Scientology feels like specifically to a child, what becomes of them, their sense of self, family bonds, mental health, as only someone who experienced being raised in a care. Just as a warning for anyone that is listening right now, a content trigger warning, this next testimony goes into graphic detail and can be very triggering. So check in with yourselves if you need to take a break or if you don't need to listen, that's fine too. I just want everyone to be aware of what's to come. Today, we continue our discussions around Jane Doe 2 testimony, picking up right where we left off. And we're joined again by our friend and second-generation ex-Scientologist CUREG member, Danny Ballou. She's really trying to manage things. She said she was afraid he was not listening to me. And there's a panic when someone isn't listening and it's sexual. I'm just thinking to myself, how do I keep this from becoming, I don't know what could possibly happen. I wasn't thinking very clearly, was just nervous and scared. Jane Doe continues to say, we cannot have sex. We cannot have sex. He begins to rape her in the shower. And also at the same time, she's being affected by the drug. She says, I told you no. And she pushes him away. Jane Doe says, I just remember we got out of the shower. It was very directing, commanding me. Okay, in my bed. Anson asks, what happened? Jane Doe says, I went into his bedroom. I don't know if I got onto the bed or if I was standing. And then Anson asks, did you get on it? And then Jane Doe says, yeah, suddenly there was this very heavy kissing again. And I remember the color of the sheets and he's kissing me heavily. And I'm feeling limpish and not fully present and engaged, going along a little bit with the kissing. And I'm telling him, Danny, you cannot have sex. We can't do that, okay? Because he hadn't listened. And I'm going along with the kissing. Maybe I can manage that. Dr. Ziv, a forensic psychiatrist who was called by the prosecution to provide blind testimony about counterintuitive victim behaviors, said, It's unusual for a victim to fight back against a stranger, even rarer against someone they know. When someone is being attacked by someone they know, it can be very confusing for them. It takes them longer to figure out what's going on. And in most cases, women use much more subtle forms of refusal. She also said that people don't know what's going on and they certainly don't resist physically or scream. They use what we call refusal messages. It goes into the rape incident into detail. And following the incident, Anson asks, why did you stay and continue to talk? Jane Doe too. I don't know. I think I was trying to make what happened into something less upsetting. Anson asks, why? Jane Doe Chu says, as a protective mechanism for myself, I didn't want to think of it as something that it was because it was someone in my circle of friends. Some of his friends were my best friends. I'm in the church with him. I'm not supposed to even have thoughts like that about another person. If I had thought I was raped, I would lose my whole community. I knew him a bit, not well, but I knew him enough to know it to be confusing. I've been conditioned like pretty much everyone, especially at that time. Nobody was reading that kind of stuff. I didn't have a very true understanding other than ridiculous CSAs on television of a stranger jumping out of an alley. Nobody's going to tell you, be careful going home alone with somebody if they're another Scientologist. No, because Scientologists are the most ethical people on the planet. Exactly. You wouldn't have your guard up, ever. Yeah, exactly. She says, and I'd already been told what I had experienced wasn't rape. So she's referring to the previous time that she was raped by another Scientologist, and she was told that that didn't happen. 
So I had all these reasons not to see it that way. I had to quickly make the situation into something I could cope with. Dr. Ziv had earlier addressed this particular situation and said that there are a lot of things that draw victims back, including the fact that no one is like that all the time. So the person who does that to you at night, that might be the person that you had a great dinner with. It's a really humiliating experience most women prefer to forget about and go on with their lives. And that leads to a difficulty of labeling it rape or sexual assault. No one wants to be the victim of a rape. It's just mind-blowing to me. This poor girl has already been raped once by a Scientologist, and her handling has taught her that it's not rape and that she can't report it. And so now it happens a second time. She's already been down that road. She doesn't want to put herself through the experience that she had the first time. What a fucked up situation. Agreed. Anson asked Jane Doe, too, if she went to law enforcement immediately after the rape. No, I wasn't allowed. I had already been raped by my ex-boyfriend, and I had been told your life is over if you report that. I had already tried to see if I could have some kind of acknowledgement and what my options were, and didn't have options. I knew if I went to ethics in the church, I would be responsible for what had happened, and I would have to do something called conditions. Have to make amends to him for raping me. I knew he would deny it and everyone would believe him. I knew it would absolutely decimate my life. I knew if I could just be strong and get through it on my own and not tell anyone, it would be way better. Everyone in my church, you know, he was considered an OL. Anson asked, what is OL? Jane Doe 2, opinion leader. And they'll say that about anyone who has value to them to have high status, be famous, have a lot of money, donate a lot of money, have famous friends. They consider that valuable. So if they decide you're successful, you're OL. You have value to the church and they will protect you. Anson asked, did you go to the church to report what happened? Jane Doe 2, absolutely not. With the first I did, Anson says, the first time, did it have an impact on your decision? Jane Doe 2, yes. But I had been shown what happens to you if you go to law enforcement and also what happens to you in the church. This gave me chills when you were reading it, the OL thing. It's so true. I've heard that so many times things that happen to kids, rapes, and that reference gets trotted out and you're just toast. When you report something, and it could be trivial, especially compared to this, but no matter how large or small, you always know when you report something, you are put into the microscope, you are scrutinized. I don't recall a single time I reported something that was like an ongoing issue or whatever. Like it needed attention outside of my authority in some way. And I recorded it. I always knew as soon as I put that in the basket, that paper, the knowledge report, that I was going to be scrutinized and questioned. And because there's that whole thing of you're being critical of someone, then you've got over it, then you did something wrong. And I think that's one of the things that might actually contribute to making a person crazy in that environment is that, no, I saw the direct cause of something. I saw this person dump a can of red paint all over the floor and walk away. That's all I'm reporting. And here's their name, letting you know what happened. This is just a silly example. But the next thing that happens is, do you have overs against that person? Why are you nattering? Like, why are you blah, blah, blah? Just bizarre. And it makes you feel crazy. Yeah, so no, you I have don't. to be willing to invite basically an investigation of yourself Yeah. when you report something on someone else, or at least that was also my experience. It really depends as well who that other person is, because you could write a knowledge report on someone and it could be action. Someone who's already in trouble, then chances chances are it'll be taken seriously and that person will be in more trouble. 
Yeah, especially if they're soliciting reports on that person saying, hey, everyone, please give us all the information, all the negative things that you know about this person. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's an opinion leader, anyone could be an opinion leader. In Scientology circles, Danny Masterson was a big celebrity who was in that 70s show. An opinion leader could be someone who was upstat. Their statistics were up. They were getting products. It could be someone that was an OT who was moving up the bridge. It could be someone that had donated a lot of money to the war chest, the International Association of Scientologists. It could be a celebrity. It could be an influencer. It wouldn't have to be a celebrity, but someone that commanded a lot of other people. There were so many ways that someone could be protected. It could be bringing in someone who has a lot of money. That would be something that would be rewarded. Absolutely. This could be very randomly applied, very arbitrarily applied as to who was an opinion leader. It's all about managing the spheres of influence. Someone who's yeah. doing something to increase the brand. And so they have protection. That's something we left yeah. out, and I want to just refresh it because we're talking about coming in because she was having mental health issues and getting auditing and getting immersed in the Scientology world and the community and her social structure and everything. And she had been in for a while now, right? But before she could go meet Danny for this date, she says, as usual, I had to have a little bit to drink, a bit of vodka, a hit, a shot, a little bit of wine just to take the edge off. I'm just talking like a hit or a shot. It's not a lot. A couple of swigs. And I just want to point that out, that here's this person that's being handled with Scientology, and she's still suffering from what's obviously some anxiety, and she's having to cope with alcohol. Right. The anxiety that she already is trying to cope with and deal with on top of the fact that if you're an anxious person, I think if someone was very commanding of you, it could really have an effect. Yeah, I want to relate to that in the opposite. Growing up in Scientology, TRs were very much a part of my childhood and confronting things and not reacting to bull baiting. Basically, I was just this like stone faced, ice hearted person. I was constantly being called that like poker face and cold and blah, 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 which is just my Scientology upbringing. How I related to people was with this facade and non-reaction to everything. And then when I left Scientology in order to be able to let down my guard and get close to people or let people get close to me, it required drinking. It was really interesting to me that my coping mechanism to stop the confront that had been enforced in my entire childhood and young adult life was I had to be able to take the edge off of that confront by letting my guard down through alcohol. And it went on for a really long time. Is that interesting? So intimacy was super tough for me. Still is. I really struggle with it. Just letting people in is so hard because I spent my, until 20, holding people out, not being authentic. I just felt so disconnected or unable to be authentic or uncomfortable in my own skin. Other than if I put my TRs in. If I put my TRs in, nobody could phase me. Do you know what I mean? And I could still do that in a snap now. But that authentic engagement with people and letting them in and be comfortable with somebody in your head or heart or mind, that really took a lot of work. So much work. Undoing Scientology, basically. Yeah, that I can certainly relate to. And I think many of the generation that came up that were born and raised in it can probably definitely relate to that too. Yeah, I still have it. I'm in a group situation. My neighbor had a barbecue that like, I just don't always know 
what the normal thing to say and do is because I missed out on that development. Development. Mm-hmm. I totally relate to that. Yeah. And you know what's funny to me? And we put it on our website and I just think it's so relevant. It's like, we are the perfect result of a Scientology experiment. And the negative things that happen to, I think, each of us for the most part were Scientology related. The traumas, the crimes, the assaults, they were in that bubble so here we are at this end trying to being hungry that also being hungry but neglect and abuse and assaults and all these things that was all in the Scientology bubble but anyways I guess my point is that we've spent so much time trying to heal and try and get healthy and yet we had no other influences in our life for the most part in our childhood other than Scientology and this is the result a hard road Yeah, there's certainly a lot of people that have been left behind that are still in there. We had to do a lot of learning and then relearning for even just basic human interactions and even just like what is, yeah, yeah, what is love? Like, what is love? What is it actually? Oh, it's a feeling. We were so disconnected from our feelings and everything was conditional. And are you in good standing or are you not in good standing? That could make the difference. Everything was conditional. Yeah, But I everything. think also that shows like how universal things are. There are things that are universal between cultures all over the world as far as what people need to be happy, as far as community and expressing feelings and caring. All that is universal and no matter how deep you were in or if you were in from birth or whatever. What you were talking about with unlearning stuff once you left. It fascinates me too that some kids who were raised in it completely, kids that are peers of Miriam, who did get moved up into becoming a Sea member, just wanted none of it. What about that? That's a person that, for whatever reason, just didn't get indoctrinated in, in some way. And that fascinates me because it's like this child doesn't know anything else. And yet they still are like, no, I'm not doing this. The kids that did leave have been kids that had a parent or they had somewhere to go to in the outside. Whereas for a lot of us, both of our parents were in the CR. So we never had anywhere to go. Exactly. And it was a very small percentage. They would isolate them from the rest of the group. And you wouldn't even know. People disappearing in our lives was completely normal. There's never any goodbye. It was just the next day you'd be like, oh, their bed's still made. It'd be something like that, and they would just be gone. And how crazy yeah. is that, that you wouldn't tell a child or that child have a chance to say goodbye to their friend? It's so bizarre. Yeah. As we know too well, friendship is not honored in the Sea Org. It's not a thing. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't give you time to say goodbye to your friend, like, ever intentionally, because that's not special. Family's not even special. Like, at Flag, when kids would leave or families would leave, it did just happen overnight. And they either went up lines, a.k.a. over the rainbow, whatever, In which Mm -hmm. case it was confidential and you weren't supposed to talk about it or ask about it. Or it was N theta, meaning negative, which was someone was offloaded or routed out. And again, you weren't allowed to talk. Or blue and you weren't allowed to talk about it. So either scenario, you weren't allowed to talk about it. So people just disappeared and you just got used to people disappearing and you got used to not asking about it. But if you were those kids that were going off the rails, you guys were saying they would start isolating you at Flag. They started moving us into the garage. So there was a whole third floor garage and there was like staff storage. And this is an open parking structure. It's an open air parking garage that's like four stories high with no sides, completely open. 
and there was a section that was staff storage. And so there were stacks and stacks of boxes and there's motorcycles, bicycles, stuff that people brought when they joined the Sea Oregon, but it wouldn't fit in their dorms and their two drawers or whatever, because you were living in there with six to 18 people. And so they set up beds, cots, bunks in the garage amongst this stuff for us kids. And that was called pig's birthing. And we just had to sleep out there in the garage with the rats and giant cockroaches, no air conditioning, no privacy, no protection from elements or people. And this is all because you want to leave or being punished and segregated and to the point where you're being offloaded, which means kicked out. But that's all right. Take birthing. Yeah, it was just this escalation or ethics gradient of we're now segregating you from the mainstream contact because you're contagious and you're. We've talked about that, upset other people or distract them or also make them want to leave too. We've got to completely separate you because you're a virus that could spread, a spark that could ignite and become a wildfire. So there were plenty of kids in the garage. I was 12 and my sister was 13, I believe, other kids even younger. And then we ended up on the RPF, but still, that made me think of when they start isolating you from others, that's how they do it. I think that's a big, when you talk about dick and carrot. That's a huge stick. My observation is that the ATA and the rant is your friends are every you're your whole life. It's so, the only thing. Like there's threat- nothing else, right? Yeah. There's so nothing threatening to lose your friends. Like that's huge. The point is to make you uncomfortable so that you'll choose to rejoin the group when we are trying to leave. They place us in the big birthing. And then in addition to that, they would make us go down to the basement. We had to work on our ethics program. Down in Rats Alley, it's where all the piping for everything of the building below the complex is. Yeah. A flag that was the boiler room. Same thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This literally oh, yeah. had a boiler that cooled and heated the entire 11-story building. And it was like an inferno down there. So if you think about Florida right. in the summer, and then they would make you go down to the boiler room, which was 20 degrees exactly. hotter at least. It was really torture, for sure. Yes. You're sweating down there. Yeah. Really loud also, usually. It's loud. This yes. thing is going and you can't so have a conversation. We didn't mean to be in the most disgusting, wild, un- physically uncomfortable. Oh, totally. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying is they were trying to give you more pain than you could tolerate to correct you. Yeah. Yeah. And the isolation definitely hurt. And also for a long time, I didn't know how I was going to leave. I'd be like, one day they're going to tell me how I'm going to how I can actually get out of where I'm going to live or whatever. So I said, wait. But then eventually I'd be like, oh, I'm not going anywhere. There's no choice. It's either suffer on in this shitty situation. And that was definitely what uh, the intention was. That right. reminds me of Nora Crest. She's told this story that she was on the RPF and she had decided that she wanted to leave, right? And she had put in to route out whatever she had to do, whatever step she had to do. And then she later, she decided to stay and the guy pulled it out of his desk and threw it away. They were just holding her there the whole time with no intention of letting her leave. You have to get your security check in order to leave and no one's in a hurry to help you get an auditor. You're low priority, right? Mm -hmm. Why would anyone audit you? You're downstaffed. I couldn't Mm -hmm. get an auditor. So I just left and was convinced that I was going to be cleared. And then a year or two later, they're trying to recruit me. You better check because I think <laughs> I actually blew, but thank you. They were like, no, you're good. You come back. I'm like, okay. I blew my last exit too was a blow from the WB in Clearwater. And I just walked out of the CMO office and I never went back. And I thought, yeah. I had to be declared. Yeah. I was excited about it. No, they did not declare me. Really? I got gypped. Yeah. 
I've made statements to the Tampa Bay Times. I did an interview on a podcast like four or five years ago. What's a girl going to do? I was rude to the calling guy. Yeah. I would have to be declared, though. I would hope so. I would think so. I put a post up on Facebook 2016 because one of my friends was getting harassed. She was very upset because they kept telling her that she was connected to people on Facebook and Instagram and needed to disconnect from them. They were SPs and she was really upset about it. She was crying. It was very distressing, this pressure to disconnect and that they were monitoring her and stuff. So I'd post on Facebook. I think I put two posts. One was the fact that they're monitoring everything and pressuring people and that was not okay and then the second post was and these are the reasons why it's a cult and then a girl that i had grown up with up at the ranch who i'd been in the sea org with and she this stage had left the sea org, but obviously was still a scientologist and she then started messaging all my friends you need to disconnect from miriam she reported me then from that point onwards i couldn't contact my brother who is still in the sea org i'm sorry to hear that yeah, this happened before Aftermath. Before I did the filming, I was trying to reach out to Ben because obviously I knew for sure I'd get declared Aftermath. I wanted to at least be able to have the opportunity to say goodbye. And I couldn't get a hold of him, couldn't get a hold of him. And then it was not until a little bit later that I realized, oh, okay, yeah, that's when it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted that one opportunity to say goodbye. But I knew what I was doing. I had to do that for myself. And also... The main thing for me was to bring to light the fact that they're covering up these crimes. One thing that my mother had said to me because she told me that she didn't want me to file a police report, didn't want me to involve the police. She was very disappointed and all that. And I asked her, like, why? What's your reason? And she said that she didn't want it to be made public. And so the aftermath was me making it public. Your mother isn't expressing concern for what happened to you. Not at all. No, never. integrity and ethics are paramount with the exception of our church. Bury everything to protect it over children, over families, over mental health, over, over everything. Otherwise, yes, integrity and ethics, but not here. Yeah. So following that conversation, that's when I ended my relationship with my mother because I was like, yeah, like that, I can't reconcile all the abandonment and the neglect and all the crap from my childhood and the shit parenting that you did when you were around and then the rest of it was just your absence okay i could forgive that and love my mother still and want a relationship with her but when she said that because the the turning point was refusing to provide a police statement for me i couldn't reconcile that at that point i was like you're a dangerous person you know someone i want around me or my children you're a terrible human being. And I don't want anything to do with you. That reminds me of Danny was relating something earlier about her kind of ending with her mother. What you just said is it's one thing that you put us in harm's way through your lack of knowledge about what the result of Scientology and the position Scientology would put us in and the things we would be exposed to and the neglect and the whatever. But now you can look at a direct result of here is an impact of this childhood. Here is an impact of no parental protection. Here's an impact of neglect to children and abuse to children. And you still can't look at this and take responsibility for it. It's one thing to not know it, but now you're looking right at it. Here's yeah, the that's, result. That's completely what it was. Yeah. For me, it was so blatant and so obvious. And I'm just like, okay. And it hurt. 
he heard for about four days, like pain. Four days after I wrote to her in an email and I just said it all. And then she was replying back, that's the greatest, that's the greatest number of dynamics. And I was just like, yeah, you can go fuck yourself. I yeah. don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I was talking to the lawyers a few years ago, I was, I was molested at New York or a uh, temporary lift on the statute of limitations. And so speaking with lawyers about that, and I was really little, I was only like seven or eight, so I don't remember names or anything like that. And the lawyer was like, do you think your mother would talk to us? No, no, she will not. I will not even ask her. That's and so... she would have known the name of that person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She would have known, she would know the names of the people it was reported to, so... She was part of covering it up and telling me to forget about it and move on. So that's the problem. The people that are supposed to be protecting us are involved in the cover up. Yep. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Just get the truth out there. We are going to keep talking about this stuff. We're going to keep exposing these crimes against children, sexual abuse of children, harm and neglect of children. And this is not going to stop anytime soon. Hopefully exposing it is just beginning. We're gaining traction. More people are stepping up now than ever before. More people are finding their courage or inspiring others. It's unfortunate that we have to be talking about this stuff. I would love to be talking about something else, looking forward instead of looking backward. But unless we do something, it doesn't change. And so I think it's so important. Absolutely. I agree. If we had gotten out of this scot-free, no harm done. Cool. Walk away. Go live your best life. I'm still dealing with the repercussions of what happened. I'm still grappling with trying to pursue a police case where the evidence is in that bloody church. I've had to go and get the evidence for this case. It's wild. There's a lot of work that I've had to personally do because of the lack of cooperation by the Church of Scientology and by my own mother. And it's so insane. They have all the evidence. Because they collected it. It's in your ethics folders and your pre-clear folders. It's all documented because that's what they do. That's frustrating. So you've got your witnesses that won't speak because they're being coerced and pressured into lying to conceal that these things happened. And all of these documents are being protected by this religious veil. Lack of cooperation, covering up of crimes, witness tampering. It is just corruption. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's more than that. You wonder, though, when we talk about things like indexing completion magazines, that something I was looking for about five years ago was some consolidated site where people who have gotten out are willing to reconnect so we can find them. Like one of my very good friends, Ian Feldmesser in the UK, and, and I know he blew like the year after I left, and I would love to find him and talk to him, but I don't know if he wants to talk to me. But if there were a website where we could say, here's my name, I was at these orgs these years, would love to hear from old friends, that sort of thing. And then I thought about it and I'm like, yeah, but then I would be paranoid that someone that's contacting me is some kind of a plan. The paranoia is real. <laughs> you know what they do have? There's a big list of X's. A database with links of people that have spoken out. We'll add a link to it in case it's helpful. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining with us today. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you about all these things. And I really hope that we have some more opportunities to do so in the future because you have a lot of experiences to share going in and out of those organizations through your childhood and 
Yeah, so it would be lovely to have you back on at some stage. Love to come back. Thank you for having me. In your unique position as a parent of a third generation Scientology child. For me personally, it's more heartbreaking. There's nothing more heartbreaking than the experience of the child still dealing with the impact of that part of their life. It's just part of being a parent. You care more about your kid's happiness than your own. I'm so glad you got out. I'm so glad your kids are out. I'm so sorry that you were raised in and that they got raised in. But I'm just glad that you got an opportunity to try and start recovering and healing and healing with them and all that entails. As we all know too well, it's a lifelong process healing. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your stories, for being vulnerable, honest, and helping others to connect with our sometimes difficult truths and pretty unique experiences. We know personally how important these conversations are to have privately, but we also feel strongly they are powerful to have publicly. So we look forward to having them with each other and you and including other voices as we can. For more information, support, and advice regarding sexual assault, the largest national helpline in the U.S. is RAINN. That's R-A-I-N-N. Their website is www.rainn.org. You can speak with the trained staff member via the online chat or call their free helpline, 800-656-HOPE. That's 800-656-4673. As always, please check in with yourselves. This has been a conversation with lots of great information, but a lot of details that could be hard to digest, especially if you are a survivor of abuse as well. We're just so appreciative of everyone listening because this is really meant to be a part of a community. We're all here together, finally. So we very much appreciate you as a part of our village. Thank you so much. We will speak with you next time.